Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. The gracious and most merciful Father, Lord, when we look out in the world and we see that we are small and we are despised, let us not forget your word and your promises. Lord, let us put our faith in you and your righteousness that your righteousness is righteous forever, and that your law is true. Lord, although that trouble and anguish has been found out and found within us, Lord, put our, let us put our delight in your commandments. Lord, that your testimonies are righteous forever. Give us understanding that we might be able to live, placing our faith and our trust not in the things of man, but in the word of God, putting our faith and our trust in Christ Jesus, the one in whom our salvation rests and rests on him alone. We pray in Christ's blessed and holy name. Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord from Exodus chapter 5. This is God's holy, inerrant, infallible, life-giving word. Please take heed how you hear. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please, let us go a three days journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks. As in the past, let them go and gather straw for themselves. For the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and make uh, offer sacrifices, sacrifice to our God. But let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen and the people went out and said to the people, thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves, however you can find it, however you can find it, wherever you can find it, sorry. But your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land to gather stubble for straw. And the taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task each day, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and asked, Why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? And the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks. 
and behold, your servants are beaten. But the fault is your own people. But he said, you are idle. You are idle. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you. But you must still deliver the same number of bricks. And the foreman of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, You shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron, who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to him, The Lord, look on you and judge, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hands to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. We often think in our life that if we're doing exactly what God wants us to do, then we will not see any pain or suffering. We think pain and suffering are always a part or result of sin in our life. We see pain and suffering as ways God merely corrects and disciplines His children. Our life might be filled with questions of why. Filled with cries to God, asking, why does this happen to me? You look out at the world, and you look at all the people that surround you, and it seems everything in their life just seems to get from better to even better. It goes from right, everything is right in their life, but not yours. Similar question is asked throughout the Bible, why do the wicked prosper? You see those people live opposed to God, opposed to His Word and His will, and yet things get better and better for them. Or to think about it in a church setting. The church that faithfully preaches God's Word seems to have a slow incline, if an incline at all. But the church down the road, which has abandoned the gospel or put other things before the gospel, preached not from the Bible but from movie scripts, they don't have the, the truths, the fundamental truths of the Bible, but what happens to those churches? They seem and appear to be growing. But we have this mindset that if we're doing what God wants us to do, then God will do what we want Him to do. But today's passage teaches us the reality of this emotion and helps us to be able to shift our perspective towards God's plan and not ours, even in the midst of pain and suffering. 
the first thing that we see in this passage is a daring demand. A daring demand. Here Moses and Aaron have stood before Pharaoh and have told him that the Lord has commanded him, Pharaoh, to be able to let God's people go. Pharaoh has declared his ignorance. He does not know the Lord, who the Lord is. But not merely he has stated his ignorance towards God of not knowing who he is, but he has also showed his opposition to do what God has told him to do, commanded him to do. Now Moses and Aaron explain a little bit more to Pharaoh of what the Lord had commanded. They explain who the Lord is. The Lord is the God of the Hebrews. That they would then go for this feast, which would be a three days journey into the wilderness, include a sacrifice. And lastly, they're doing this that they might not face sickness and death. That would not fall upon them. Pestilence and the sword. Which are dangers which would relate in the wilderness. However, Moses and Aaron explain, this is what might befall them if they do not make and go and make sacrifices to the Lord. Now, when we understand that this elementary request that Moses and Aaron ask of Pharaoh is not a great request at all. It's actually quite a small and simple request. What they're asking is basically one week off to be able to go and make sacrifices to their God. However, Pharaoh's response, they should not be relieved of their burdens for not even seven days. This statement is quite clear when they speak of taking the people from their work. Here Pharaoh prioritizes work over worship. He demands them to work instead of going to worship the Lord. He sees these people made in the image of God as disposable equipment in which he is to use to be able to build his empire. Pharaoh also highlights that the people are many in the land, which is also a great concern and which drives the original Pharaoh in the opening chapter to be able to enslave the people of Israel. And he accuses Moses and Aaron of taking them from their burdens. Up to this point, we must understand these two things very clearly that Moses and Aaron did exactly what the Lord had commanded them to do. To tell Pharaoh to let his people go. Now some people have said that this request is somewhat of a facade, a deceitful request of Pharaoh just merely to let the people go so that they might be able to make a sacrifice to the Lord for three days. And they say they're not actually asking for the people to go. And they say there's deception on the Lord's part 
in which we would deny because the Bible clearly says that God is not the author of sin. But that does not change the outcome. If Pharaoh is not willing to let the people go for three days, why would he at all let them go for any into their freedom? This shows the hardened heart of Pharaoh even before we begin. That he is so opposed to God's request. Even seven days is too much for him. But we're not surprised by Pharaoh's response of saying no to be God because God told Moses that's exactly what would happen in chapter 3, verse 19 and 20, and 4, verse 21. So we see this daring demand, then we see the burdensome bricks. The second aspect that we see very clearly is because Moses and Aaron did what they were commanded from the Lord, now Pharaoh reacts and actually places more burdens upon the people of God. It's not merely that Moses and Aaron were doing what God said. It's because they did what God said. That then drove Pharaoh to be able to place a greater burden on um, the people of God. We see this very clearly in the text where it says that on that same day, Pharaoh's response is they hear Aaron and Moses and immediately... He inflicts greater pain and punishment upon the people of God for the reason that Moses and Aaron were doing exactly what God told them to do. Pharaoh instructs the taskmasters and the foremen of the people of Israel. They have to go and collect their own straw to be able to make bricks. Now, this is not merely that they have a small quota of bricks to be able to see. This is a great burden that was upon them even beforehand. They already had this heavy burden upon them. And Pharaoh makes their task even more burdensome. Instead of the Egyptians providing the straw for the people of Israel, not only do they have to move it, they have to go find it. You see this clearly in verse 11. Go and get the straw yourselves wherever you can find it but your work will not be reduced in the least. Here, this this level of burden grows dramatically. It used to be there, brought to them. Now they don't nearly go collect it. They've got to go find it to be able to do this. But they've all got to do this with the same quota that they had done previously. A heavy burden beforehand, and now it's even a greater burden. And we see that the people actually go all across the land in verse 12 to be able to go find their own straw just to be able to make their bricks. This is even compounded with the taskmasters who already beat the people. They were already beating the people we saw in chapter 2 before Moses interfered. It just keeps on going up. It's not merely that they then say, say you have to make the same quota as before and produce the same number as bricks. 
but they actually enforced it with great power and brute force. To intensify the injustice done to the people of God, they seek to be able, they appeal to the decision and have their case heard. They go directly to Pharaoh. But what is Pharaoh's response? He is unsympathetic. He turns around and says, go and work. Mocking them that they are idle. Here they are running across the country, collecting straw to be able to make bricks for his own storehouses. And he says, they're the ones who are idle. Now it is really hard for us to be able to begin to imagine and fathom such injustice and difficulty placed upon the people. Here they are enslaved, with an already large burden upon their backs to work. But yet they're given more jobs within the exact same amount of time to be able to make the exact same amount of bricks. They have no course of appeal to be able to appeal to any form of department of labor, It was not as if they were taking it easy beforehand. And all because Moses and Aaron did what the Lord commanded and asked for seven days to be able to go make a sacrifice to the Lord. Here we see the people of God suffering because Moses and Aaron did exactly what God commanded them to do. Now we must pause here and understand the reality of the situation. It's not merely that we then twist this situation around and theologically try and do some form of gymnastics and say, well, this is a good thing for the people of God. Think of all the exercise they're doing. Think of all their, their physical well-being. Think of their dependence upon God. We don't then turn and say this evil thing becomes a good thing. Even the text makes it very clear that this is an evil thing. Moses says rightly when he tells the Lord that Pharaoh has done evil to God's people in verse 22. It's not then we then theologically try and do some form of gymnastics to be able to say pain and, and suffering is not really, that doesn't really matter. The body is not important. The people of God are physically suffering. And this evil has been forced upon them. This is gruesome work that made the, pe the people of God have to walk many more steps, carrying the straw on their back to make bricks. This is not what we would say is the daily grind of work that we have in our lives. Now I'm pretty sure out of all of our employees, if we were to go through and find the worst employee out of all the congregants' members, then none of them have used a sword nor a whip to be able to drive us to a quota 
nor added extra things to our backs, causing us to walk many more miles between life and death. But the truth still remains the same, that we don't need to alter the definition of what pain and suffering is. Theologically try and twist and distort it to be able to call pain and suffering a good thing when it is evil done to us. The pain and suffering is real. The persecution is real. And the Bible does not try and undo that, nor deny it. It leads us to our next point, which is the painful plea. The people, after meeting with Pharaoh, speak with Moses and Aaron. After worshiping God, earlier knowing that God has visited them and seen their affliction at the end of chapter 4, now they call upon God to be able to judge Moses and Aaron. The great aspect of theology is that understanding, understood by God's people, is that God is judge over all things. The people seek that God would judge Moses and Aaron for their part in all of this. We know that they're doing exactly what God had commanded. They see Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh, and now they have an additional burden upon them. They see God as the one who judges people in their action. Now God will judge Pharaoh and the Egyptians. However, at this point, it's hard for them to be able to see this. Hard to be able to understand how God could be doing such a thing to them. But we should also see the situation from the eyes of the people. They see this as punishment for them. That after Moses and Aaron said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh thinks that they're idle and lazy. Israelites put it in this way, saying that we stink in the sight of Pharaoh. They see this as some form of punishment that would lead to death. Now the people say that the taskmasters have swords in their hands, whether this is a literal sword which is driving them. Now that every taskmaster carries around a figurative sword or for that additional work that leads to death, This is the generation that have seen horrendous things and heard the horrendous stories of what Pharaoh had done to them and God's people. The Pharaoh had already tried to exterminate the people of God through the midwives and, and trying to throw their young baby brothers into the Nile. And now they feel like they're back to where they've begun. Pharaoh is seeking to be able to destroy the Israelites again. Why? Because Moses and Aaron did what the Lord commanded them. And we see the leaders lament. Finally, Moses complains to the Lord. Now this is very important first that we see and we'll continue to see. Not only just through the story of Exodus, 
but through the whole Bible. Moses stands as a mediator between God and the people of Israel. Moses turns to the Lord, and he cries out, and he asks two questions. And then why he asked the questions to God. Moses asks two questions. First, he questions God's sovereignty. And then, why God had sent him to do this task. Moses understands the chain of events in all of this. He knows that God's people have a heavy burden because of Aaron and himself. As they went and spoke with, to Pharaoh on behalf of God, he understands that this evil inflicted upon the people of God is because of what he had done. He asks the question, why did you send me? Moses was reluctant and begged for God to be able to send someone else. And Moses believes that God had done evil to his people through Pharaoh. As he explains, all this came about because God had sent Moses to Pharaoh. He understands the people are suffering today because of what you told me to do. But Moses' ultimate complaint is that God has not delivered his people at that point. God had promised that he would deliver his people from bondage to Pharaoh. Yet, that had not happened. Now we see God's gracious response next time. As the Lord does not get angry with Moses for his complaint, but merely reveals his plan to him. Moses understands that Pharaoh is the one doing evil acts against his people. And he understands God is sovereign over all things. In all of this passage, we see the aspect of harboring hope. Now we know what is coming. We know what is going to happen. However, we need to stop and place ourselves in the Israelite sandals. Everything looked like it was going to change. They would be delivered from this slavery, but instead, everything got worse. All because Moses and Aaron were obedient to God's command to go to Pharaoh. They were to suffer real pain and difficult days because of the obedience which Moses and Aaron showed to God's revealed will. Pharaoh, on the other hand, prospered. He did not suffer. He actually benefited from this. He benefited from their suffering. Now, for the perspective of the people of Israel, God has not heard their prayer. He has not done what they were told He would do. Now, we might not know the exact same feeling of pain and suffering that the Israelites had. But I'm sure in our life, in our lifetime, we have asked the same question that they asked. Why do the wicked prosper while God's people suffer? Or why do the wicked prosper at the expense 
of God's people. But the truth is that suffering is still a part of a believer's life. That actually this is exactly what God had promised would happen. It wasn't the timeline that the Israelites were thinking, but it's exactly what God had said would happen. Now in chapter 6, we understand more of God's plan and His purposes in all of this. But up to this point, they do not have chapter 6. We might ask the same question, not merely about physical pain or suffering, but the remaining sin that lies within us. God, you said you would deliver us from this bondage of sin. You said you would save us, but yet sin still remains. There's pain and suffering in my life. This still remains. It's not that God has not answered our prayer. It is not that God has not fulfilled His promise. He has just not done so yet. That God, in all of this, is going to answer His plan and His purpose and His promise. Actually, it's the truth of the Bible. Not that suffering doesn't come to Christians. It's actually the opposite. That if we do live a godly life, we will suffer persecution. Paul writes in 2, Peter, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Peter states that we should not be surprised when suffering enters our life. 1 Peter 4. James points out that we should have joy in trials because we're having our faith tested in James chapter 1. Paul writes in Romans that suffering leads to hope, which does not put us to shame in Romans chapter 5. Paul then writes to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 that he is content in his weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. The reality is that we suffer in this life, and being a believer does not alter that. Even walking obedient to God's will in his revealed will, doing what he commanded, does not then uh, place us in some form of bubble that we do not suffer pain or persecution. The author of Hebrews points out and explains this truth of suffering to believers in the end of chapter 10, chapter 10, verse 32, where the author says, But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession to an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may have received what is promised. And then he goes in to the famous chapter, chapter 11, where he says, Now faith is the assurance of things, not, uh, things hoped for and the convictions of not, things not seen. And all of the people throughout all of Hebrews 11 didn't have immediately the promises given to them by God. 
They went through pain and suffering, and actually living in God's revealed will actually did damage to their physical life in some way or another. That they went through great hardships because of their faith. That they put their faith not in their life in which they lived, but the things hoped for and the things that were promised. The author ends chapter 11, speaking of a great cloud of witnesses. In verse 33, he says, Who through faith conquered kingdom and enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of the flame, escaped the edge of the sword, made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put forth in, uh, foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and, flo- mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. Some were stoned, some were sawn in two, and some were f- killed with the, by, with the sword. And they went about in the skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains in dens and caves and all the earth. And here is the example of the people in faith. And, and we want to say we want to be men and women of faith, and yet this is what being men and women of faith was like. They didn't receive the promise when it was spoken of them, but God was working. God was going to fulfill their promise. But God has provided a better thing for us. That as we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Previously, the author had explained that suffering happened to them after that they were enlightened, after they were believers. After they became a believer, they had more struggles to be able to face. The, the, the people the author is writing to had sufferings, afflictions publicly. Their property was plundered. The, the believers need endurance to be able to get through this. To be able to hold on to the will and the word of God. The following God's revealed will is not easy. We have the internal conflict of sin telling us to be able to rebel, but also we have the external, outward conflict. This pressure and persecution. But we suffer. But we don't suffer without hope. We suffer but we don't suffer without promise. We have confidence that God's word is truth and his way is life. The reality is that believers live in the time from now, in a time of now and not yet. We have not reached our final destination. We are still aliens in this world, pilgrims in a barren land. We live in a world that has effects that fall upon her. 
We have not reached the new heavens and the new earth. Satan still goes around like a roaring lion seeking someone to be able to devour. Now we do not know why prayers are not answered in the way that we might think. But it does not mean that it have not been hurt. We do not know the reason for our suffering. Nor do we know its end. Suffering does not equal sin. Suffering comes maybe when others sin and when we are walking in obedience. The psalmist writes of how things, how he sees the wicked in the world prospering while he is seeking to be obedient to God's word. And there's one striking thing that changes all of his thoughts. In Psalm 73, verse 16 and 17, the psalmist writes, But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task, until I went into the sanctuary of God, and then I discerned their end. For us to be able to try and wrap our heads around the righteous and obedient suffering, it is a wearisome task while the wicked prosper. However, once we see that God is the righteous judge, the one with the plan and the promise and the power to see it to its end, as we see clearly in chapter 6, God will show Moses that Pharaoh will not get away with this. That God will show Pharaoh his power. God will fulfill his plan and fulfill his promise to his people. Nothing will stop the Lord. And the same is true for us today. That God will show his power through the Son's judgment. He will show his plan as he comes back to be able to judge the living and the dead. And he will fulfill his promise. That there will be a day, there will be no more suffering, no more sickness, no more sorrows, no more Satan, no more sin. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. O gracious and most merciful Father, we give you thanks and praise that even in a difficult passage like this, we see that you are above all. Lord, that those who walk in your ways still will suffer many things on this path. Lord, but we seek to be able to place our trust in you in these difficult times of pain and suffering that we understand that you have a plan and a purpose in all things to be able to bring about them for good in the end. Help us to be able to come alongside those whom evil has been done to that we might be able to endure, placing our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. Give us endurance until the end. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com.
Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.